Welcome to the Whitefields Community Church Podcast. For more information about our church, including location and service times, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. If you are blessed by this message, please consider sharing it with others and leaving a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. All right, good morning. Is this the part where the pastor always says, no, good morning? Oh, no. All right, well, nowadays, I've, I've noticed that a lot of times we just are not into bread like we used to be. And there could be various reasons why we're not into the bread. It could be the carbs. It could be that uh, we don't want the gluten. It could be that you're on that caveman diet where you only eat raw meat. You know, there's all kinds of different things that, uh, that could be the reason why we don't eat bread as much as we used to. But uh, the fact is that we just don't. Oftentimes we can go days without eating bread. And then sometimes that when we do, it's just kind of like a little add on to the main meal. But this wasn't always the case. Quite often in the olden days, when before the turn of the century, people ate bread a lot. And it was a major staple in their meals. Throughout human history, in most places, it was a major basic dietary food item. And bread is considered even such a, a big part of the meal that when you go and you invite somebody over, a lot of times we say, hey, let's break bread together. It's an older term, but still we still use it. And many breads today are unique to cultures and they're unique to uh, various countries. For example, in India, you have naan bread. Uh, if you say naan bread, everyone goes, oh, Indian food. Uh, France, the baguette. Uh, Ethiopia, injera bread. And in America, you know, we have wonder bread. So, you know, we have that. So many breads go hand in hand with the culture. And in ancient Israel, it was very similar to that, where during the Passover, they would have unleavened bread. And so they ate that uh, on Passover, where there's no rising agent in the bread. And they ate it seven days after Passover as well. And of course, there's manna from heaven, which was bread from heaven that sustained the nation for 40 years uh, during their wanderings. And the Jewish teachers frequently referred to the law as bread and the Torah as manna. Uh, so in their culture, bread is tied a lot of different ways to how they do things and how they talk. So this morning, we're going to be looking at a time where Jesus takes uh, a crowd's desire for bread and turns it into uh, a wonderful master class on who he is and why he came down to earth. As a matter of fact, today we're starting a whole new sermon series entitled Jesus Is. And in this sermon series, we're going to be taking the seven I am statements found in the book of John, culminating on Easter with I am the resurrection and the life, and uh, we'll be going through them. And during this series, we're not really going to be studying too much what other people say about Jesus, but we're really going to be focusing on what Jesus says about Jesus. And so during his earthly ministry, what he would do is take the statement, I am, and then he would attach a metaphor to it to really explain who he is and his character so people could understand more about himself. And he would say statements like, I am the light of the world, I am the door, I am the good shepherd. All these things we'll be covering in the weeks to come. And he would say more than that because there's seven of them. But um, the first one we'll be covering today, and that is, I am the bread of life, which is found in 
the Gospel of John chapter 6. So please turn there with me. And while you're turning, today's title of the message is Jesus, the Bread of Life. And in our passage, we're going to learn that just as manna was provided by God in the wilderness, so Jesus is provided to us as the bread of life, that through him, we are sustained and have eternal life. And so we're going to break apart that uh, sentence as we go on throughout the study this morning. And this morning, we'll be focusing on a conversation that Jesus had with some people on Passover. And Passover is really when they celebrated the exodus from Egypt, from slavery. So it's really a huge celebration for the people of Israel. And the scene that we're going to be looking at specifically involves the people that Jesus is talking to. They came out of the very famous miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 just the day before, actually. And so these are the people they came out of that miracle, and now they're looking for Jesus. And in the miracle of the 5,000, uh, feeding of the 5,000, what happened was that Jesus takes five barley loaves of bread and two fish, and he breaks the malt up and he puts them in baskets and he multiplies the bread that ends up feeding 5,000 men, not even counting the women and the children that were there. So he feeds thousands of people just based off the small amount of food. So here we find Jesus in a synagogue in the city of Capernaum, which is on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. And uh, the first part of our sentence today reads, just as manna was provided by God in the wilderness. So we open up today's reading in John chapter 6, verse 25. It says, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. So right away, Jesus, his welcome to them is unmasking their intentions towards them. And he's saying, you, you know, you're not seeking me out because you saw the many miracles that I've been performing. You're seeking me out because you ate and your bellies were full and now you're coming back for more. And I think it's very surprising that they're not seeking him out for the miracles. Because just in the previous verses in the chapter, it talks about how they saw him healing the sick. They saw him performing the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. So they saw signs, but they're not coming to him for the signs. They're coming to him to get their material well-being met. They're not coming to him because he teaches the truth about who God is. No, just bread. And so Jesus continues in verse 27. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal. So Jesus argues that their efforts should be focused not on the loaves and the fish, but on food that lasts forever. There's a big difference. One is a physical thing, and one is a spiritual thing. And so Jesus isn't really rebuking them for their, their idea of what work might be, and when working for food, you should get a reward that you know, may spoil. What he's saying is that you should really be focusing on more of the eternal, not on these physical fish and physical loaves. And he's making a contrast between the material and the spiritual. And you can see this oftentimes that man will 
almost always gravitate towards the material over the spiritual. And you can see this by putting a sign up that says, free food. That free food sign is going to get more attention than a sign that says, free Bible study, free prayer. Absolutely every time. On a completely unrelated note, though, we are offering free breakfast at the men's prayer meeting. So just in case uh, you want to do that. So the idea that we should work hard for God to achieve material blessing is something that's really just, it's, it's an idea that's not worth pursuing. If anybody tells you that and is preaching that to you, you get up and you leave because that is not a biblical idea. We must focus on things that are higher. We must focus on the eternal things of God, or as Jesus puts it, bread that it endures to eternal life. So, and Jesus even takes this argument further. He says, not only should you not be focusing on the bread, and not only should you be focusing on the bread that leads to eternal life, you should be focusing on the one who gives the bread. That's the important thing. The one who gives the bread, because Jesus, the Son of God, is standing before these people. They're... Their entire culture and generations after generations have been waiting for him to come. And what do they request of him? I would like more bread, sir. That's it. That's all they're requesting of him. So Jesus says to focus on the things that are higher to the giver of the bread. But unfortunately, they just go right back to the work. And in verse 28, the people say, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And so Jesus is telling them to not labor for the bread that perishes. And their reply is, so what should we be doing for the bread that perishes? So, you know, these are oftentimes I often think about Jesus and his patience. And did he ever just kind of just a little bit lose it and just roll his eyes at people? You know, because I think I might. What they're saying, when they say works of God, what they're saying is the work that God requires. So they're asking Tell us what work God requires us to do so we can get the bread. We'll do it. And so they're really inquiring to Jesus, what must we do to get this bread? Please tell us. Is it more tasks? Is it more laws? Just let us know so we can get the bread. And I understand this. You know, sometimes I come home from a long morning of church And uh, my wife, I just love her so much. She is at home. And when I come home, she has my lunch made and she's holding it in her hand. And she's asking me, how was my morning? Because she doesn't spend the whole morning there with me. So she's asking, how was the morning? And the only thing I can think of is, please, ma'am, please tell me what I must do to get the sandwich. (laughs) I understand where these people are coming from. Jesus responds, By bringing the attention to back where it should be in verse 29, he says, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. This is pretty big. Jesus responds that they must have faith, not abstract faith, like just faith in anything, but faith in God. And not only that, but faith in the one God has sent. That's where their faith should be. Their faith should not be in the works that save, but on faith. In Romans 3, chapter 28, it says, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. And the problem is that these people are stuck in the works of the law. 
And Jesus is over here trying to educate them on faith. Jesus is explaining to them that in order to do, you have to trust. In order to do the works of God, you have to first trust in God. And in this case, trust in the one that God has sent. But they're starting to finally understand just a little bit about what Jesus is telling them. And you can tell by what they asked Jesus next. In verse 30, they asked Jesus, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What, works do you, what work do you perform? For our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So bread from heaven in this case is talking about the manna that the people of Israel survived on for 40 years while they're wandering the desert for their lack of faith and disobedience in God. And in Exodus 16, it talks about that. It says, when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it is. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. So they're asking Jesus about this bread earlier, but now they're asking him about this bread from heaven. Can you give us bread? And now they're like, well, can you give us bread from heaven? And so why this change? Why suddenly bread from heaven? Well, it's interesting because in Judaism, they believed that there was a literal storehouse up in heaven that stored the manna and the bread from heaven. And Moses had a key. And when Moses came, he was able to release this bread from heaven. And they expect that, well, the Messiah, when he comes, will also have this key. And you can see this in various texts uh, that are not biblical. These are not biblical texts, but they are Jewish teachings that we still have. The first one says, the treasury of manna shall again descend from on high and they will eat of it in those years. Those years being when the Messiah comes. They expect this treasury to be open. The second one says, as the first redeemer caused manna to descend, so will the latter redeemer cause manna to descend. So the first redeemer being Moses, the second redeemer being the Messiah whenever he comes. So they fully expect that just like Moses caused manna to descend, that when the Messiah comes, well, he will cause manna to descend. So when the Messiah arrives, he will open up that treasury of bread from heaven and it will rain down upon the people. But that, you know, kind of begs the question, the day before they just saw Jesus feeding the 5,000 men with, you know, thousands of women. So he was feeding thousands of people the day before. Well, doesn't that qualify? Well, they're probably thinking on the long, along the lines of this, that Moses fed an entire nation for 40 years. Jesus, well, you're showing potential, but you really only fed a few thousand people for brunch. You know, so we need, if you're making messianic claims, we need you to be up here with your miracles. We need you to be up with Moses with your miracles. And so they're just not kind of hopping on board quite yet. If he claims to be the Messiah, he needs to open up the treasuries in heaven. So Jesus responds in verse 32 and says, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father who gives you 
the true bread from heaven. So there's a couple of things going on here. First of all, Jesus sets them straight and says, whoa, it was not Moses who gave you the bread. It was God who gave you the bread. Okay, so let's, uh, let's start off on the right foot. And then secondly, he says that the father gave bread to the people, but now he gives, present tense, the true bread. So he's really kind of playing with grammar here. In the past, God gave you bread, but now he gives you, right now, the true bread. But unfortunately, the subtlety of what Jesus is saying just completely escapes them. One thing to remember, though, is that the bread from heaven for the people in the generations past, in the time of Moses, was meant as a spiritual metaphor, just like what Jesus is using now as the bread from heaven as a spiritual metaphor. And you can see that in Deuteronomy chapter 8. He says, And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that, the, that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So the manna was given to their ancestors as a spiritual metaphor for God and for the word of God. So interestingly enough, at the beginning of John's gospel, he says this, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And later in verse 14, he says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So it's interesting that Paul is saying, or I'm sorry, John is saying that the word is Jesus. So even when the manna was being passed down 1400 years earlier, it was a foreshadowing of Jesus. And now the word became flesh and is dwelling among them, telling them that the bread means something a lot bigger than what they think, just like Moses did all those years back. The second part of our sentence reads, just as manna was provided by God in the wilderness, so Jesus is provided to us as the bread of life. And he goes on to say in verse 33, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So the bread of God is the one that God has sent to save the world. And this is really interesting because Jesus is transitioning between or from a Messiah that provides blessing to a Messiah that is the blessing. That's tremendous to these people. He's saying that Jesus is the true bread. It's a person. Before now, they thought the Messiah was going to come down and give them material blessings. That being, he would set up an earthly kingdom. He would rid them of the rule of the Romans. He would give them wine. He'd give them honey and milk and bread. He would give all these earthly possessions and blessings. But now Jesus is explaining that the Messiah will provide himself. The Messiah is the blessing. And so do we see that the reaction of the people being, that's it, we believe. Well, it seems that way, but it's not. Instead, in verse 34, he says, they say, sir, give us this bread always. And it seems like, well, they think, oh, well, they want this bread. 
But unfortunately, if you keep reading, they really think this is actually bread. And they don't quite understand what Jesus is saying. They completely miss the point that Jesus is talking about. And they want bread that Jesus is talking about, but they want it for their stomachs. I can understand that too. But Jesus is not talking about that. He's talking about something bigger. So in order to make his point, Jesus makes it very clear and makes a very clear definitive statement. And he says, I am the bread of life. Jesus just proclaimed that I am the bread of God. I am the bread of the Passover. I am that heavenly manna. I am the contents of that heavenly treasure trove of manna. I am the bread of life. That's amazingly huge to these people. They need to pay attention and understand. Jesus has been sent by God just like manna was sent to the people so many years ago. He's equating himself with the bread. And by doing so, he's essentially saying, I am essential for life. Now, not physical life, although one could argue that. He's talking about spiritual life. Our spiritual life and our spiritual existence after we die, our eternal life is tied up intricately with Jesus. Just like without bread, they would die. Without Jesus is spiritual death. One very important aspect that we'll be discussing and kind of unpacking as time goes on is the idea that Jesus said, I am. And when he says that, if you remember way back at the time of Moses, when Moses was standing in front of the burning bush, Moses asked, who, who should I say sent me? Because the people are going to ask. And God says to them, tell them I am has sent you. And then the way that that is said, though, is very different. It's, we're not going to get into it this week, but we're going to be getting into it in the weeks to come. And what basically is going on is, I'll give you a little bit of a spoiler, he's claiming divinity by saying that. Because the only time it's ever used in that way is back in the days of the burning bush. So we're going to unpack that as the weeks come and build upon that idea. But this week, we are not. We're just warming you up for that idea. But the final part of our sentence reads, just as manna was provided by God in the wilderness, so Jesus is provided uh, to us as the bread of life, that through him, we are sustained and have eternal life. So Jesus is proclaiming, actually, let's read the, the last part of verse 35 first. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. So that's a pretty big statement, but Jesus isn't talking about physical hunger, physical thirst. He's talking about spiritual hunger, spiritual thirst. And he actually says this when he's standing on the Mount of Olives and he's preaching over there to all the people. And he says in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. This is what Jesus is talking about. The hunger and thirst for righteousness. Not physical hunger that the people just keep going back to. So in 36, Jesus uh, goes on and says, But I said to you that you have seen me, and you, yet you do not believe. So I'm standing here telling you I'm the bread of life, and you still don't believe me. The crowd's reaction is disbelief. 
And he can see into their hearts. He can see what their belief is. He can look at them and tell that they're thinking, now, is this bread gluten-free? Is it have whole grain? How dense is this bread? Because we all know that, you know, the really dense and thick and heavy bread, that's the good, healthy stuff, right? The ones with the nuts and twigs in it. That's, that's the healthy bread. I know, my wife brings it home. The only thing that the crowd sees is a man of power, a potential earthly king. They don't see that this is the son of God who perfectly expresses God's word and deed. They see a man who can do miracles, but their curiosity and appetites and, and political ambitions are aroused, but their faith is not aroused. They see bread and power, but they don't understand what that signifies. And so knowing this in verse 38, Jesus says, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of the one who has sent me. This is an amazing purpose statement. This is the reason why Jesus came. The entire purpose behind his incarnation. He's saying, I have come to do the will of the one who sent me, which is the father. That is the one who sent me. And he did this because we failed to do the will of God perfectly and completely, which is why we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus came to do on our behalf what we could not do by ourselves. He lived a holy life, free from sin, and he fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law on our behalf to justify us who have fallen short of God's requirement and haven't always done God's will. So the question has to be asked, though, if Jesus came down to do the will of the Father, well, what is the will of the Father? And so Jesus, anticipating that question, just goes right in and says in verse 39 and 40, and this is the will of him who has sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but rise up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus will never lose, not one single individual. That's a double negative. Uh, he will never lose a single individual that, uh, that is given to him. The statement is so important that Jesus repeats it, but kind of changes the emphasis a little bit from 39 to 40. In 39, he's really talking about the gift of the Father to him. He will never lose any of them. And then he changes it a little bit in verse 40, and the emphasis is now on personal faith. Those who believe in him, those who believe in the Son, will have eternal life and will be raised on the last day. That's absolutely foundational. The only people that will be raised again on the final day are the people that have the faith in the Son. And here in John 6, we see this amazing and complex metaphor that Jesus gives to the people and therefore gives to us uh, uh, that describes who he is and why he came to earth. And he starts off with just a simple desire for bread and he turns it into this masterful metaphor on why he came down. And he tells us that there is a bread, if you eat once, you will never hunger again. Not only is there such a bread, but Jesus is the bread. Jesus is the bread of life. 
Jesus was sent by the Father to do the work of the Father, and the work is that he will give eternal life to anyone who believes in him. God is the supplier of the bread of life, and whoever eats of it will live forever. The identity of the bread of life is Jesus, just as our focus of our faith should be on Jesus. And if you're here this morning and your focus of your faith is not on Jesus, don't leave here today until you talk to somebody. Talk to a leader, but talk to somebody. Seek out a leader, seek out a pastor, seek out somebody sitting next to you. Everybody would love to talk to you about who Jesus is and pray with you. Psalm 63 says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Jesus is the sustenance that cannot be done without. Manna and bread, those are all temporary things. Jesus Christ is forever. What does it mean to have our soul satisfied? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and walk with him always. Let's pray. You have been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Make sure to tap the subscribe button if you would like to have new messages delivered to your device every week when they are released. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support our ministry, you can do so by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or by giving a donation to our church on our website at whitefieldschurch.com.